At Boston Medical Center, we are welcome and treated equally. Through our commitment to serve everyone, BMC offers numerous outreach programs and health services, including this podcast series, to hear our doctors and other staff members. It's Boston Med Talks with Melanie Cole. Well, it's that time of year again, and if you're someone who suffers from seasonal allergies, you know that some people dread it. They dread the coughing and the sneezing and the running nose and the watery eyes and everything that goes with allergies that are really common at certain times of the year. My guest today is Dr. Fred Little. He's the Medical Director of Pulmonary Allergy and Critical Care Medicine at Boston Medical Center. Dr. Little, tell us a little bit about seasonal allergies and how can someone determine the difference between those types of allergies and, say, a spring or fall cold? Well, that's a great question. Um, So seasonal allergies, as they're sort of termed, uh, usually come in different seasons, depending on what people are allergic to. Um, I would say that the main difference between an allergy uh, sort of worsening because of somebody having what we commonly call hay fever versus a cold, uh, there are a lot of common symptoms, you know, scratchy throat, some cough, uh, nasal congestion, you know, just basically sort of feeling miserable all around. But some of the key things that can help differentiate the two are usually people who have hay fever symptoms or allergies uh, really don't have a fever. Uh, They certainly can have cough and some of those other symptoms. And the other thing is that a common cold usually will sort of run its course over five to seven days. Some people can have a little cough for longer than that. Whereas people that have seasonal allergies, you know, really once they're in their season, they continue to have symptoms uh, throughout that season. And so it's sort of like uh, the cold that doesn't go away. That's an excellent description of it and, and a good way for people to tell what it is. Then how does a seasonal allergy differ from other allergies, like to food or products, seasonal allergies are more to things that are in the outside, right? Not necessarily pet dander or, you know, those dust mites and that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. So uh, that's exactly right. So when we think of seasonal allergies that happen, at least in the Boston area, in the in the warm times of the year, they are to airborne so-called aerallergens, so things that are triggers uh, in a susceptible individual that will lead to allergy symptoms. And those main things are uh, pollens in the outside, uh, mold spores that can be in the outside. Uh, There can also be some indoor aerallergens, which tend not to be so seasonal, so people can be allergic to pet dander, house dust mites, uh, uh, mice, and and other things like that. So seasonal allergies... uh, which are during the seasons, although there can be other causes of airborne allergy that can happen year-round that are due to things that are inside the house, differ definitely from food or other product or medication allergies. And the main difference is while the allergic response, like what's happening in the body, can be quite similar, it's happening in different places. So one is happening more in the lungs and the nose and the sinuses. Uh, The other is happening and can happen throughout the body and can affect the lungs as well. Uh, And those uh, symptoms uh, tend to be a little bit riskier. So if somebody has an allergy to shellfish or to a peanut or to penicillin, and they were to inadvertently uh, eat or take one of those medications, the symptoms can be a little bit more severe and they can get more of a a full-blown allergic reaction. That's pretty unusual uh, for uh, people having seasonal allergies, although they can be quite miserable because uh, their symptoms can be quite significant. Dr. Little, one of the things that I hear often from people with allergies or people that maybe suffer from asthma or things like that is how do you know about 
the pollen levels or how do you identify those triggers? Because isn't that one of the keys to managing this type of an allergy? Yeah, so there. Are, uh, that's a great question. Uh, the The truth is that it's easier to control exposure to allergies uh, that are seasonal and year-round due to airborne uh, allergens. It's a little bit easier to control uh, that for things that are in the indoor environment. So if somebody is allergic to a cat or has bad house dust mite allergy, there are things we can do in the home to regulate that. It's pretty hard in our regular daily life to control exposure to pollens. They are everywhere. Uh, They're all around. Um, I will make a note that the pollens that we normally can see, like the yellow sort of dust that's on cars in the springtime, is caused by pine pollen, which actually it turns out not isn't so much of a of an allergen that people are sensitized to. The main sort of uh, spring pollens uh, that people are allergic to are related to tree pollen, and those are extremely small. Uh, they go up twenty, thirty thousand feet. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you have a tree outside your window or whether you live in the inner city with very few trees because they are very pervasive. And in fact, the tree pollen season in Boston, in the Boston area, starts well before our trees here start to have flowers. People often say there's snow on the ground, but my spring allergies are bothering me. The reason for that is because since they're so small, they can travel so far. The trees that are in Georgia, South Carolina, Virginia, you know, the lower and mid-Atlantic coast, those trees pollinate a lot earlier. So as a result, those small little pollens can climb up to 30, 35,000 feet, follow the jet stream, and get dropped on the Boston area. And in fact, right now, we already have relatively moderately to high tree pollen counts, even though our trees you know, are barely starting to make any leaves, not to mention flower. Uh, and so as a consequence, the spring pollen season starts before our local trees start to produce pollens. In terms of finding out where you can get that information. There are a lot of media outlets like, you know, the Weather Channel uh, and others uh, that will give an idea of pollen counts. But I should warn people that the way in which they grade low, medium, or high pollen counts to certain things are compared to pollen counts in general. So a high pollen count doesn't necessarily mean that people are more likely to have allergy symptoms to those specific pollens because it determines it's determined more by what people are individually allergic to. So pollen counts, when you see them in media outlets, have to do, they're sort of graded based on prior uh, averages and the range of pollen counts that are out there uh, and don't necessarily predict whether somebody will have more serious symptoms. It really depends on how sensitive an individual is to those pollens. Now, one could say if somebody is sensitized and allergic to spring pollens and we're in September when weed pollens are high, they're probably not going to be affected by that. Wow, what a great description. Dr. Little, what a great educator you are. Now, Well, thank you. (laughs) uh, Certainly you are. That was was really a a great explanation of it. So if somebody has these kinds of allergies, do they need to get them specifically diagnosed? And if they do, what do you recommend as far as treatments? Boy, there's so many over-the-counter treatments. You could stand there in front of that wall. It's dizzying. How do they know what to pick? Yeah. So uh, in terms of diagnosing the allergies, uh, it's a little bit easier for seasonal allergies than it is for people that have allergy symptoms that are truly allergy symptoms and not just a long cold that occur year round. So in seasonal allergies, there are sort of three main seasons in the Boston and New England area. The spring season is uh, tree pollens. Uh, The middle of the summer, starting sort of in 
late May leading through mid to late August are grass pollens. And then starting in late August through the first frost are weed pollens. There's some overlap amongst those seasons, but for the most part, uh, those are the main seasons. So if somebody comes to see me and says, you know, I have miserable allergies in the spring, I have a pretty good, you know, guess that what they're allergic to are tree pollens. And whether they need to get tested specifically for what they're allergic to, it depends a little bit on whether the symptoms can be controlled with medicines or not. Because there isn't much mystery if somebody says to me, you know, in the middle of July, my my seasonal allergies are terrible. I know they're allergic to grass pollen, and it doesn't really uh, make much difference to figure out what specific grass they're allergic to if their symptoms can be controlled with medications. If, despite medications, their symptoms are poorly controlled, then we can start to think about the next step, which is typically allergy shots, which is a fairly uh, significant time commitment but can have uh, you know, a very good effect. And that's really where we need to find out, okay, what exactly is somebody allergic to? Are they allergic to birch pollen but not ash pollen? Are they allergic to ragweed but not other weeds? Because that would dictate the way we would put together a prescription for their allergy shots. Now, in terms of the treatments, there, you're right, there's a lot of stuff that you know, 15 years ago wasn't available over the counter. Now it is. Uh, the main classes that are available over the counter are antihistamines like um, Zyrtec, Allegra, Loratadine, Claritin, et cetera, et cetera, as well as some of the nasal steroids, which includes fluticasone, uh, budesonide, Flonase, Veramist. I'm kind of giving the range of both generic and brand names that are available. I usually will tell people to start um, using an antihistamine. So an antihistamine helps some of those itchy, scratchy, kind of uncomfortable uh, feeling that people can have during their allergy season, including some symptoms in their eyes as well. Um, there are also some eye drops that are available that can be bought over the counter. Um, if people are well enough controlled with that, and some people are, then that's good enough. The one symptom that antihistamines don't really control is that sense of nasal congestion. And this is the person who you meet uh, either yourself or you talk to and it's not just that they have a runny nose, but they sound like they're congested. You know, it's like, wow, your voice has changed. So nasal congestion, which is really the tissues in the nose getting not only inflamed, but getting swollen up, that really can't be controlled with antihistamines. And that's when people would probably reach for a nasal steroid, you know, one of the things that I uh, just mentioned, uh, for example. That really helps treat the congestion, and it also helps treat the other symptoms as well. So that's a reasonable approach uh, to start with sort of antihistamines. And then if that doesn't work, then taking a nasal steroid that's available over the counter. And if despite those two things, and it's pretty consistent, like symptom description of allergies, that may be the time to really uh, sort of seek care from an allergist uh, to try to further refine what you're allergic to. And then other tricks that we have up our sleeve that go beyond just what's available over the counter. What do you want them to do at home? Dr. Little, as we wrap this up, and what a great segment, so much usable information. What about lifestyle? Neti pots, do you like nasal lavage? Do our air filters or opening the windows at this time of the year, do any of those kinds of things matter? Even things like mowing the lawn, washing your hair after gardening, do any of those things really make a difference? <laughs> well, I know you're laughing, but you know you hear about these kinds of things. Tell us if they're a myth and what you want people to know about seasonal allergies and things they can do. You know, I'm chuckling because those are all perfectly reasonable steps. Uh, and, and the problem is that uh, you've given a menu that, uh, you know, the, the, the smorgasbord should be 
uh, as complete as you've described it. Uh, it's a question of sort of picking and choosing based on what's convenient for you. Um, I would say that it's pretty hard to minimize exposure to pollens uh, during the seasonal allergies um, uh, because even if you come in your house, uh, you're bringing the pollen in that you have on your clothes, et cetera. But there are some things that can be done. One thing I would say that I would not recommend in people that have bad seasonal allergies is to keep the windows open because you're basically letting all those pollens that are outside you know, come in. It may be nice to have a little bit of fresh air and a cross breeze, but that's letting all those pollens that are making you miserable outside come into your house. So trying to keep the windows closed, uh, air filters can be helpful, uh, washing clothes um, soon after. Some people have really bad allergens, allergies to, to pollens. What I'll tell them is to you know, have sort of a changing room so that they can actually, you know, get out of their outside clothes and change into some inside clothes and then, you know, wash those clothes or rinse them so that the pollens are not being sort of brought into the house as much. Air conditioning can be helpful for a lot of people that have nasal symptoms as well as allergies because air conditioning does several things. First of all, your windows are going to be closed. Secondly, it dehumidifies the air, which tends to make people feel uh, better who have sort of congestion and other respiratory problems that can be related to allergies. And also, uh, air conditioners have uh, these small filters that need to be uh, changed or cleaned uh, once in a while. So they kind of filter the air as it's going through. So air conditioning can be helpful. Many people get a lot of benefit from using neti pots, uh, nasal saline to kind of clear stuff out. Uh, I think a combination, like you're suggesting, of sort of trying to target the areas of the home environment that you can target, as I mentioned, as well as medical treatment is kind of the recipe to try to help people control their allergy symptoms as much as possible. And what would you like them to know about when you feel it's important that they contact an allergist such as yourself? I think uh, I, I think uh, with the availability of over-the-counter medicines, I think that uh, if if the basic uh, treatment that they've tried with you know antihistamine once or twice a day, usually the non-sedating ones that I've mentioned, because Benadryl can be very helpful, but it can make people sleepy. The other ones like uh, Zyrtec, Allegra, and Claritin don't tend to make people so sleepy. If they're taking one pill of those a day or one or two of those a day, not much success, and they're taking a nasal steroid, which I have to specify, uh, usually takes about three to four weeks to really kick in. So don't give up after a week or two. It's not like Afrin or other topical decongestants. It takes a while to kind of control that inflammatory response, that allergic response in the nose. If after three or four weeks of taking a nasal steroid plus the antihistamine, you know, you're really not getting very much benefit, then I think it's reasonable to uh, uh, to seek help from an allergist. Great information. Dr. Little, thank you again for joining us. What a great guest you are. Thank you so much for all that excellent information. This is Boston Med Talks with Boston Medical Center. For more information, you can go to bmc.org. That's bmc.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks for tuning in.